Um, as, as Kevin mentioned, we have entered into a season of Lent, and uh, depending on your upbringing, Lent may be a familiar season for you. Uh, one of the ways that I have thought about Lent is um, it is a time for us to just press pause and to look inward and to see how we align or misalign with what God calls good and beautiful and true. Um, it's when we slow down enough to see if, um, if, if things really match up with what we say we believe and how we've been living. Um, some of you have already noticed that there is something right now that does not align on my shirt. And what I, what I, think, is, what I think is interesting is, um, is that if I left it like this, some of you would not hear another word because it is driving you nuts. Yes. There are others of you that would have never noticed it. And I've pointed it out and you still don't even notice it. I, yeah. So Lent is a time when we pause and we notice. And um, so I want us to, to kind of just choose to enter into this space where we we trust that God loves us enough that we can be honest and he's not going to strike us down. Um, he is still going to hear us, um, but he would love for us to just stop what we're doing and fix it <laughs> or begin taking steps for that. So for the sake of you that are just really irked right now, I'm going to begin. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, I'm going to begin to readjusting this. Um, I don't know if you um, if, if you kind of did one of those head tilts with that, but I wonder if um, if we were honest, if if God uh, maybe is looking at us with a little bit of a head tilt, and he he does that with love. He does that because um, he knows what is good and beautiful and true, and he wants our lives to line up with that. And he gives us a book, uh, the Bible that is not a do this or else line up your life, but it's a, if, if you wanna live life to the fullest and if you wanna really experience love to the fullest and a relationship um, in its most satisfying form, then I've prescribed for you a way to line up your life with what is good and beautiful and true. And uh, as you can imagine, these aren't things that happen overnight. Um, these are things that we enter into a process. Um, just because I have my shirt buttoned right now doesn't mean I'll necessarily have it buttoned correctly tomorrow. Okay? Um, there are some things that I, I think are just perpetually in a realignment mode in my life. And maybe that's something that you can relate to. But. Um, not that we have to reserve these times of, of looking inward to realign our lives for just this one time of the calendar year, but we can uh, certainly kind of, it's, it's, this is a season where we agree as a family, as God's family, that we're going to really focus on doing that. Um, we are going to look uh, not only today, but actually for several Sundays throughout uh, 2020, um, and throughout this time of Lent, leading up to Good Friday, Easter, things like that, um, 
we're going to look at the book of Romans. And it's a letter that Paul wrote. And he is writing it to Christians whose lives are not aligning with peace. Uh, he is writing to a group of people who claim to be Christians, some of them um, of Jewish origin, who have believed that the Christ, the Messiah, is Jesus, and they've given their life to him. They've continued to observe uh, their Torah, their laws that had been so faithfully followed by ancestors before. But also in Rome, we have not only these, these Jewish Christians, but we also have Gentile converts. We have those that um, are Roman by birth who have forsaken some of their uh, privileges, some of the power that they have as a Roman citizen and begun to, uh, to align themselves with what is good, beautiful, and true according to the gospel. And, and so Paul is writing to them saying uh, that the, I, I've noticed that the two of you, Jews and Gentiles, are not always aligned according to God's principles. And it's not that they're not aligned together, it's that they're not aligned according to peace, to shalom, to this, uh, this life that God has for them. And so he is encouraging them um, to look inward, primarily to these, uh, to these Christian Jews to look and to ask themselves, really, are we as privileged as we think we are? And for those Roman Gentile converts to, to kind of think a little bit less of the power and status that they were born with and how they can kind of lay that off to the side and begin to live at peace. And so the passage that we're going to focus on today in Romans 4 is geared mostly towards the Jewish Christians who felt as though because of their obedience and because they were such good people that they had earned a special place in God's sight, that they were favored, they were privileged, um, especially when compared to their, to their Gentile um, brothers and sisters. And so I want us to make sure as we walk through this today, and I'll probably remind us of this as we walk through Romans in the weeks and months to come, but um, when we think of this, we kind of think of it as a book, uh, but I want us to, I want to remind you that it is a letter that Paul wrote, possibly from Corinth. He wrote it to these Christians in Rome. And when he wrote it to the Christians in Rome, he didn't send it to a church building. He sent it uh, so that it would go around to, as best as scholars can tell, probably five or six house churches. So there were Christians gathering together in homes and as they gathered together in homes, it could be anywhere from just a, a small handful up to maybe 30 or so. And it would kind of be dependent upon the size of the house. Um, but they would gather together and uh, they would break bread together. Uh, it was a way for them to remember uh, the Christ, uh, the sacrifice of Christ. And they would sing together. They would worship together. Um, they would do life together during the week. But they would have these special times when they would come together. And as was the custom in that day, if someone wrote a letter and was having it sent, it wasn't like you put it on a stamp and give it to someone who gives it to someone who gives it to someone, a bunch of people that you don't know. You write this letter and you hand it to someone that you know personally, that you 
are basically saying to them, I want you to take this letter to these people. I want you to read it. And I want you to be my face that they see as this letter is being read. And it's not just a, I want you to read it, but it's also, as was custom in that day, the person who was delivering and reading the letter was also the one that was prepared to answer questions that the listeners might have. So they're not just reading this letter. In fact, it's quite possible that the one who delivered this letter had memorized this letter. They had almost kind of been through a mentoring process with Paul so that they understood what he was talking about so well that when they delivered it to a house church, they weren't just by rote going through it. They could say, okay, does that make sense? What do you ask me questions about this? And then they would give explanation. Now, if there were five or six house churches that this was written to, then it was quite possible that the one who delivered this went through this five or six times. And instead of thinking of a letter that's being read in a church, imagine a letter being read in a living room or around a kitchen table, because that's more the vibe, the feel that was going on. It was a very, um, almost an informal way of, of them sitting down and saying, let's, let's engage in this together. So as we look at this passage today, and, and, and if you are following along with lectionary readings, uh, you, they can be found on our website, then you will note that uh, a passage from Romans is a part of each of the weekly readings for most of the weeks to come uh, through the summer, all the way up through the summer. Um, just kind of keep that picture in mind. Imagine sitting at a kitchen table as someone is reading this to you and pausing to say, does that make sense to you? Is this, is this sinking in? So who is the person that delivered this letter? Well, we read in Romans 16 that it was a lady by the name of Phoebe. She is the one that, um, that often hung out with Joey. And, no, I'm just kidding. Different Phoebe. Um, <laughs> she, was, she was the... Uh, Every once in a while, you just got to make sure you're awake. That, that's really what that is. <laughs> If somebody had said amen to that, I would be like, all right, yeah, yeah. Um, she is uh, the one who hosted and led the church at her house in Sencri. And so we see her not just as one who could put out a good spread and have people over for a faith community. She is the one that was kind of the leader. Um, she's got a, a title of deacon. She's a servant leader of this church. And so she's got her own church that she leads, and she's got this relationship with Paul that's strong enough where he can say to her, um, I want you to be my face as this letter is read. And I trust that you are going to be able to not just read it, but to expound on it and for people to really be able to dig deep into this because of what you can add to it. And I mentioned this for a couple of reasons. One, um, as I stated, Paul is addressing a problem with privilege and power. And it is not a coincidence that in that culture, he chooses a female to be the one who represents him to communicate these, what we now refer to and hold dearly as sacred scriptures. I love that today we are commissioning we are affirming 
um, two females who, think of it this way, um, Karen and Christine, can you imagine having the relationship with God where he is saying, when you read or expound on the scriptures to other people, you represent my face that they see. That, that you become the embodiment of, of this, um, of God and his words for these people. Um, and this is a challenge for, for each of us as we proclaim God's word. So this is a, there's a, so much packed into this. I, it, it helps us, I believe, as we see the context of this, that God is, is preparing not just Paul, but he's prepared Phoebe. And as she is the one that arrives, I just, I wonder what thoughts of power and privilege already begin to shift in that very patriarchal society. And how many of them begin to see that Paul is kind of saying um, he's going to turn privilege uh, power upside down. And he's going to say privilege really doesn't matter for any of us. And this is some of what he begins to address here. And um, now when we think of do's and don'ts, and when we think of, there's, there's a couple of, of words that are going to be used quite a bit. Uh, righteousness and law. And those are words that, at least righteousness, that's probably one that we use mostly in a church setting. I don't know if it's common language in your workplace or around your dinner table. I know, you know, Beth and I with our kids, we're always talking about righteousness. Just kidding. <laughs> Not at all. We have different words for it. But we, we are, um, we would all believe that there is a right way that we are to live. And this is that good, beautiful, and true. Now, when we think of, of laws, um, we probably think of, uh, at least this is what comes to mind for me, uh, this is the law, do this or else. This is the law, don't do that or else. So let's say a traffic law, a traffic law, a speed limit. We are faced with this speed limit sign. You abide by that speed limit or else. And the or else could be a variety of things. It could be or else the policeman will stop you and give you a ticket. It could be or else you may actually do damage or worse to yourself and others around you. There's, there's this component of um, it's kind of a fear driven thing. Biblically. When we talk about law, when the Bible is talking about the law, and when God gave the law to Moses, when God um, encouraged his people to uh, uh, obey the law, it was less about do's and don'ts. And it was more about, hey, if you want to deepen your relationship with God, these are the things that are really going to please him. These are the things that are going to really cement that love that you have for him. And it's going to open you up to receive more of his love for you. So at the core of law is a relationship of love. That's the thing I want us to, to get out of this. Now, just to contrast this, just to show you how different this, this is, um, how many of you think that speed limit signs are posted so that you have an opportunity to deepen your relationship with law enforcement? <laughs> Does that have anything to do with that? No. <laughs> okay. That's, it's not a way, oh, hey, you know, I think I can get to know the officer better if I double that, you know. <laughs> okay. 
Now, what's interesting is, if you have a relationship with someone that's in law enforcement, would you be more likely to speed? You might be, because you're thinking, hey, I think I could maybe get away with this. You know, I could kind of cash in on a favor since I know this person really well. Well, that's, it's just the opposite of that relationship that the Bible is talking about. It is, it is, I am going to do this because I love God so much and because he loves me so much. It's rooted in love. It's not a, what are the consequences? Let me kind of weigh what, how this might turn out. It is just taking an honest look at a God who is looking at us with nothing but love and saying, I'm, I'm choosing to follow you. What you have laid out before me, I really believe is the best way for me to live my life. So with that in mind, we're gonna step into the scriptures and I want us to begin with Romans 4, beginning in verse 1. Phoebe is sitting down. If you can get that picture of friends Phoebe out of your head. <laughs> Phoebe is sitting down with this letter at your table. And she begins, she's been reading for quite some time, but now we pick it up here. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? So at this point, again, he, uh, Paul is addressing the Jewish believers. These are people who were real familiar with Abraham, who knew that Abraham was a good guy who followed God's commands. Abraham, great person. We want to be like Abraham, a good rule follower. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, um, Abraham entered into what God was doing for him and he trusted God to set him right rather than to be right on his own. Abraham knew that any righteousness he had was because of what God was giving him. Verse four, now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. On payday, you don't get a gift, you get what you've earned. It'd be nice to get a gift on top of what you've earned, but this is, Paul's making this point. Uh, however, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So he is beginning to say at this point, he's saying privilege. You maybe have been doing a just a bang up job, way to go. But privilege is not something that you can boast about because making yourself right in God's eyes is not something that you could do fully for yourself. Instead, I am asking you, Paul is like saying, God is asking you to live at peace with one another because each of us is made right with God because of a trust in him. So he's encouraging them, okay, I don't want you to compare yourself to other Christians who maybe don't believe and follow exactly like you do. Yes, there's this main thing. We believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father. But there are going to be some other ways that they may choose to live that don't align 
with you. And they were probably issues like eating meat, sacrificed to idols. Um, you can kind of maybe think of some, some ways that Christians, uh, what are some dividing lines between Christians, between denominations? Um, and what Paul is saying here is, when there is unity, alignment, it is because we are at peace with God. Because we have opened up ourselves and we have said, I want to align myself with what God says is right. The way he can make all things right. Um, we all, by the gracious act of Christ, are to align, align ourselves with God. Now, it helps for us to get a little bit of context and, and look back at Romans 3. I'm going to read this from the message translation just because I think it's going to be easier for us to to comprehend it's going to be on the screen uh, but this will it, it reads a little bit more in a uh, more modern uh, language that will hopefully connect with us what Moses and the prophets witnessed to all those years has happened the God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us and not only for us but for everyone who believes in him so in other words this isn't a privileged thing. This is, this is for everyone. For there is no difference between us and them in this. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. There's that deep relationship, that friendship. Man, I tried to keep the speed limit, so to speak, but God did what I could not do for me. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. So where does that leave our proud Jewish insider claims and counterclaims? Canceled? Yes, Canceled. What we've learned is this. God does not respond to what we do. We respond to what God does. Let me say that again. What we've learned is this. God does not respond to what we do. We respond to what God does. We finally figured it out. Our lives get in step with God and all others by letting him set the pace, not by proudly or anxiously trying to run the parade. That's a very vivid picture. And where does that leave our proud Jewish claim of having a corner on God? Also canceled. God is the God of outsider non-Jews as well as insider Jews. How could it be otherwise since there is only one God? God sets right all who welcome his action and enter into it, both those who follow our religious system and those who have never heard of our religion. But by shifting our focus from what we do to what God does, don't we cancel out all our careful keeping of the rules and ways God commanded? No, not at all. In other words, just because you know the police officer doesn't mean you're going to take advantage of that and start driving crazy. No, not at all. What happens, in fact, is that by putting that entire way of life in its proper place, we confirm it. That's our way of saying, yes, what Jesus has set for us, the life that he modeled for us, that is the way. That is the good way. 
back into Romans 4, Paul begins to talk about the importance of a relationship. He begins to kind of describe we are all in the same relationship with God as our Father. He says uh, down in verse 16, I'm skipping around a little bit, therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Everyone's in this. Not only to those who are out of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. He's saying that if you are in this family, if you have chosen to follow Jesus, then you're, you're in, regardless of your heritage, regardless of where you started. Um, how many of you are familiar with the term uh, big people's table and, and the kids table? Yes. Okay. How many of you um, have a, just a twitch because of some bad moments as a kid at the little kids table and longing to be at the big people's table? Me? No, anybody? Okay. Thank you. Tim, you and I can commiserate. All right. Um, I remember sitting one, it, like, if you're not familiar with it, it's basically at holidays when extended family comes together. You have the big people at one table and you have all of the children at these other little like card tables. And I began to ask myself the question, how big does someone need to be to sit at the big people's table? Because I'm sitting at a card table one year and no lie, the, the card table is kind of teetering on my knees, okay? If I sit fully under the table, <laughs> the table won't even rest on the ground, okay? And I'm looking at this big people's table thinking, what, what do I need to do to get over there? And I noticed everybody over there had a spouse. That was the key. You had to have a spouse. <laughs> Beth, I am so glad we are married. <laughs> That's one of the very small reasons why. <laughs> the way to get to the big people's table is by way of a relationship. The way we get to God's table is by way of a relationship with him. Paul is saying, hey, everybody is invited to this big table of God's. Everybody. If you are just to that point in your life where you will humble yourself and say, it's not because God is starting to finally listen to me. It's because I have adjusted my life and I'm beginning to align my life with his. I've entered into that relationship. I'm at God's big table, God's big table. And I love that how um, Abraham in particular is described in this relationship with God. In 2 Chronicles 20, way back in the Old Testament, we read our God did uh, oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your what? Is it up there? It's going to be hard to figure that out. There it is. All right. I thought everybody had Second Chronicles 27 memorized. Sorry. <laughs> and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your what? It's quite a relationship, isn't it? Isaiah 41, 8. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my... And then in James, 
chapter 2, verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. So what's the prerequisite for being God's friend? Kind of described it. It's the same prerequisite to be at the big table. It's saying, I want to enter into this relationship with you. I trust that you are the one that will make me righteous in spite of me. I trust that you are the one that has the power to help me realign my life with what is good and beautiful and true. We read these verses just a little uh, before Romans uh, 4 Verses 3 and verses 5. What does the scripture say? It says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly. This word, sometimes translated believed, sometimes translated as trust, is the same word in the Greek. And it is basically saying, if you want this relationship, you must believe in God. But this belief is more than just an intellectual exercise. It is, I am putting my trust in God. I'm laying my life in his hands. And so I want to close out with what is uh, probably a, a, something that many of you have seen or participated in uh, to one degree or another, a trust fall. And so I've asked Max to come up and help me with uh, a trust fall. And uh, I'm just going to say right now, um, he is the one that's going to be falling and I'm the one that's going to be doing the catching. <laughs> Not that I don't trust you, but you know. So uh, uh, if you're not familiar with a trust fall, there's a couple of things that's uh, kind of helpful to know. Um, you'll kind of want to stay rigid and keep your arms. Your core tight. Core, yes, very. <laughs> keep the core tight. <laughs> I knew asking you to help with this illustration was going to be. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, and then keeping your arms crossed so that if you have that brief moment of panic, you're not just flailing and, and bopping me in the nose or something like that. And so I'm going to have you turn and face right there, feet together, okay? And uh, staying real rigid, the core, whatever thing, all right? And when you are ready, fall back. <laughs> <laughs> It was, yeah, I did, kind, of, kind of did the low catch on purpose. Now, there's a faith element to trusting God. I'm not God, but, you know. <laughs> faith meaning we can't always see. All right. Can you see? Nope. Nope. Okay. All right. Core tight, feet together. When you're ready, I want you to fall back. Nice. Okay. You, you are surprising me. Way to go. All right. Yes. Okay. I need you to listen really close to what I'm about to say. All right. Um, in fact, I'm going to turn the mic off because I need you to really focus. All right.
down? Yeah, you go ahead and count down. And when you are ready, you fall backwards. Three, two, one. There are times when God says, follow me, and it, and it makes all the sense in the world. And then there are times when God says, follow me, trust me, and maybe your response is, now? <laughs> really? You're, you're there and you want me to go where? I'm here and you want me to do that? Trust. It's not just believing. That is a picture of trust right there. Even when it doesn't maybe make sense, but there is something in you. It's almost like an impulsive yes that says, I am convinced that God loves me so much that I'm going to do this. And it's not really about a law or a limit or I do this or else, it's rooted in a relationship. And the privilege is for all of us that God loves us, each and every one of us, and he invites us to trust him. We're gonna enter into um, a time for you to pray and to sing and worship. Um, by this time next week, we will have a, um, a germ-free option for our communion time. Today, we will not um, practice communion together, although I will say you can feel free to do it the way they did in Rome, and that is as they gathered in one another's homes among friends. What a great way for you, maybe this week in your faith community, to gather with some friends uh, to break bread there and to remember the sacrifice of Christ. For this morning, um, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, and I'm not going to ask you to fall backwards or keep your core tight, (laughs) but I would like you, as you're standing, I want you to close your eyes. What is it that God is inviting you to trust him with? What is it that God is inviting you to trust him with? Maybe this morning is your morning. It is the morning where for the first time you put your whole trust, your whole self in God's arms. Maybe this is a morning where that part that you've been holding on to is something that you're going to go ahead and do your best to peel your fingers off of it and to trust and to let go. Not because you have to, but because there is something in you that says, this God loves me and I can trust him with everything. Maybe there's something in your life that doesn't align with what is good, beautiful, and true. 
Could you trust God with that? Hand that off to him. God, I thank you that even in those moments when I am so inclined to hesitate and say now, that you are a God who patiently waits. You're a God who is ready. You're a God in whom I can place my entire trust, my entire self in your care. For those of us that are facing some big question marks in life, I'd love for you to straighten that question mark out and turn it into an exclamation point, something that makes sense or that it's exciting, but maybe, God, what I need is just a greater faith and trust. Maybe some of my brothers and sisters in this room feel the same way. Lord, what you're not going to fix right away, I pray that you will give us the faith to trust. Lord, may the words of these songs become our prayer to you. May it be a way that we begin to declare our trust in you. Amen.